0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Before the Downbeat A Musical Podcast. We are joining you today, episode number 10. Ooh. I am your host, Jin. I don't know how to describe myself. Man, I'm still stuck in quarantine. Mackenzie. <laughs> and I am joined once again by the Canadian VR, their director extraordinaire, mm-hmm. uh-huh. Lady of Muskoka, and now also the Julia Child. Of Muskoka, oh. Autumn Smith.
1: Yes. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello, hello.
0: Yes, Autumn today is baking a very special birthday cake.
1: That's right.
0: Today, birthday cake. Tomorrow, meat pies. Mm. We are going back into the Sondheim canon. woo our, This will be our, technically, our fourth Sondheim because we've done West Side. We've yes. Done, we've done Merrily. We've yes. We've done Company. And now we're doing. Attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. His skin was pale and his eye was odd. He showed the faces of gentlemen who then thereafter were heard of again. He trod a path that he had trod. Yes, did Sweeney Todd. Yes, Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street.
2: Attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. Attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. He served the dark and avenging god. He served the dark and avenging god. What happened then? Well, that's the play, I and mean, he wouldn't want us to give it away. Not Sweeney. Not Sweeney Todd.
0: That little ditty of Sondheim, you know, of really? cannibalism and revenge and obsession—all types of great. Things. Now you and I both had this show on our list of things we want of shows we wanted to do. So oh, it's yes. easily yeah. gonna make it into our first few episodes. hmm So Otto, why don't you tell us why did you want to do this show for the podcast?
1: I mean, I'm a London file. So yeah. any chance to talk about London, <laughs> I'll do it. Yeah. I also just, I find his trajectory very interesting. I find mm-hmm. he's kind of a microcosm of London itself at the time of the, the yep. Victorian era. I really appreciate the way that this is crafted, mm-hmm. especially by a, an American composer. But yeah, I think it's London, the idea of the alleyways and The idea that he gets away with this and Lovett gets away with the crime for so long is indicative of a thought I've always had about London. As a Caucasian person, Mm -hmm. it is the only city in the world where I could completely disappear. Yeah. I think that's probably why, you know, at the time, policing was not very prolific. No. (laughs) And Until Industrial Revolution really made cities boom. Mm-hmm. So there became this chaotic yeah. mess of population where there was this seething underbelly all the time. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, because of industry, smog and pollution laid a cloud of black over the city. So you couldn't it. see anymore Mm-mm. it was mm-hmm. always in this veil of darkness and that. people became very paranoid about living in these spaces because they knew that the darkness would bring out bad things they created these penny dreadfuls which is where we're gonna get into them yeah, yeah. that's where he and, came from that's you where know Shemita came from they were like these little graphic horror stories things yeah and stories that played on the fears of the general Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely well yeah yeah so many famous ones and sweeney todd was one of them although it, there's possibly some historical accuracy to this. Guy. There is,
0: yeah, well, yeah. Let's address that very quickly here, just because there. Is, well, well, we don't have full records because records were not great no. at the time. At that time, so and there's, as you said, there were so many people in London. There, there could have easily been some type of similar crime that was happening. In and around the Fleet Street, London, East Endy area where somebody was murdering people and and there was some type of situation because people were starving. So it was very possible that somebody could have ate, killed somebody and cooked them up. You never know. So, But there is the thing that there was a meat seller or meat pie person in Fleet Street and she was connected to a church. And apparently, at one point, they did find her carving up some bodies, some cadavers down there in the catacombs of London. So, there is some historical references in there for sure. Well, we can't say anything for sure. I mean, people, historians have searched ages and historical documents to try and find proof, but there hasn't been a full definitive yes, this, there was a man named Sweeney Todd. I don't think there ever was. I think there was somebody else. Maybe, probably, there's probably some type of similar things. It's kind of like how Law and Order does those based on a true crime situation. I found an article. Okay. What's it say?
1: From The Independent in Britain. Love it. Who, who shed some light on crime historian Peter Haining, mm-hmm. who plowed through evidence for 25 years before writing Sweeney Todd, the real story of the demon barber of Fleet Street in 1993, 1993. He believed that there was someone like this. Okay. He was so convinced of Todd's existence because of documents he found in the Newgate Prison calendar. Okay. It's a more factual and reliable document than the prenate dreadfuls at the time. Heening's account is still not widely accepted, but he says that the man was the monstrous product of his hard upbringing. An mm-hmm. opportunist thief who was barbarous even by the standards of his contemporaries, mm-hmm. polishing off at least a hundred and sixty victims in a seventeen year killing frenzy. Great. But it his name was Sweeney Todd. And hmm. he was born in Stepney in seventeen fifty-six. And then he his first turn in Newgate. He became the soap boy to a barber, Uh and guy like Pirelli. And that was yeah. And then he went from there. Okay, Um, interesting. Some say, and it is said that the bodies were left underground in the church, but he Mm -hmm. sold the flesh or what he could to Marjorie Lovett. Yes, who was located. Not on Fleet Street. Figures. But Bell Yard, I think. Okay. Somewhere close by. Okay. So basically I'm he sold the meat back. to her and she cooked them into pies. Correct. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the fear so, so, and everything yeah. was apparently, mm-hmm. apparently it is a maybe a fact. Okay. I leave it up to you to figure out what you want yes. to believe. I believe it's
0: completely possible. I believe there are certain parts that are definitely possible and that Mm. they were cobbled together to make a great Penny Dreadful story. Just like how we have modern day Law and Order episodes where it's like they take the best parts of certain crimes and they make Mm. that into one great 45 minute episode for television. So I chose this show mm-hmm. because, first of all, it is my favorite score sometimes, musically speaking. Yes. Like this is by, I, I can listen just to the orchestral score of this piece, no problem. It's haunting and it's epic. And the minute the show starts, you are literally blown off your feet by mm-hmm. the wall of sound that comes out of this show. Like it is, not just from the factory, but from like, just like the orchestra. I mean, the original yeah. production had that was a 27 piece orchestra like that's yeah. huge for broadway that was a big sound they wanted to create and it's scary like, it, like it's a scary thrilling show it tillates you all at the same time like there's this weird mix of emotions you get watching the show it's wonderful
1: well you have a protagonist that you're actually rooting
0: for evil protagonist he's a serial it, killer yeah, but is he evil though, Autumn? I he's would say if Bill Sykes evil. is not a villain in your eyes, and I would say definitely Tony Todd should not be a villain.
1: Oh, well, he's not, not, a, villain. not as a
0: villain. He's villain.
1: He's just very confused. But he's a very
0: broken down man. He chooses anger. All right, I will also say the only reason why I chose this and why I like it so much is yeah. that the lyrics and music are so complex for this show. The amount of in, like in, like intricacies that are involved in this, like in the he gives away. The entire story, in the first few songs, in the first few bars of the music, with his motifs and his leitmotifs, which are, for people who don't know, they're musical themes, basically. Like, mm-hmm. there's certain things that are associated with the character. So if you hear a certain musical phrase, you know, oh, that means it's this person. It h- helps the audience recognize But Sontag uses this to his advantage and even writes at it into other places in the music, so it hints at certain moments. So, like, for example, spoiler alert, Sweeney Todd thinks his wife is dead at the start of the show. Turns out she's not. Yeah. Turns out she's not. And he ends up killing her, accidentally. Not on purpose. But he ends up doing that to her. But, throughout the whole show, that's been hinted on by the fact that his wife's musical theme is being played by this other character of the beggar woman. That, at the time, we don't know that she's supposed to be this other character. And then on top of that, he also has the deaf, the iconic deaf motif, the D.S. Irae sprinkled in throughout the entire score. The first main melody that we hear of the show is the D.S. Irae just pitched up a little bit in the score. But like the whole time, like he has just done this wonderful thing where he is sprinkle all this in and he wouldn't recognize it off the top. And but then the minute you peel back the layer, of skin and you get into the fleshy goodness of this story, it's like, ooh, there's so much more in here.
1: Well there's also that da 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 da. it sounds like cobblestones, yeah. like
0: things going over cobblestone. yeah And it's so well, that, well, that's the madness theme. Well, that's Sweet Todd's Madness theme that we hear. But that,
1: underneath that Well it's that factory theme that
0: we'll see in the show
1: well and part of the factories was getting stuff too but it has like a distinct cobblestone sound yeah
0: that's true and the last thing i'll say is why this is such a great show is that for an audience the concept that we can be so blind to the danger that lies in front of us that we don't suspect anything whether it is a unsuspecting meat pie or just going to get a haircut that all of a sudden what is interesting is you
1: know it's playing on the privilege right mm-hmm. the things we take for granted going to get a yes. haircut is not something everyone can do yes and it's left for the privilege again it's very much mm-hmm. about class yes and re- the seeking of justice against that class system yes is so well done here
0: yes absolutely so anybody who doesn't know What this musical is, I'm going to give you a brief kind of plot description. I think we spoiled it already. Well, we spoiled the big ending, but there's lots of other stuff that goes along in the story. So Sweeney Todd tells the story of Benjamin Barker, who is a local barber in London who was wrongfully convicted and sent to Australia for life. Before the musical begins, he escapes and he begins the musical arriving in London thanks to the help of a young sailor named Anthony who saw him on the ocean floating on a raft. So when he arrives in London, Benjamin Barker changes his name to Sweeney Todd as his new alias. Todd is then accosted by an old beggar woman, he, which frightens him. He then finds his way back to his old digs with his, with his former landlady, Mrs. Lovett, who is a meat pie seller of the worst pies in London. That is her kind of claim to fame, is that she makes the, <laughs> the worst meat pies which is wonderful. And then she recognizes Todd and tells him that his wife went mad from poison after she was raped by Judge Turpin and the Beatle, who were the men who sent Todd to Australia. Todd swears vengeance, especially after he finds out that after raping his wife and driving her to take to, to drink poison, Judge Turpin took on his daughter as his ward, which basically meant that she, he was her guardian. So he swears vengeance, and Mrs. Lovett presents him with his old razors, that she kept as a, a memento to him when he was arrested. Friends, Yes, his friends. So then it's written, the story is very cinematic because then we cut over to Anthony, who is wandering London and he comes across uh, Joanna. And that turns out to be a Todd's daughter, even though he doesn't know that. So he then falls in love with her on site. Very classic love at first sight story between the two of them. He then swears to free Joanna from Judge Turpin's grasps. And he then goes off to find Sweeney Todd to help him. In the meantime, we then come back to Sweeney who is ah. now a barber ah. who is working above Mrs. Lovett and her pie shop and so they go get some uh, notoriety in the city so they go and challenge the other rival barber Signor Pirelli for a shaving and teeth pulling contest. The teeth pulling was later cut from the production. The first little while they had a teeth pulling contest in there, they then felt it was redundant so they cut it.
1: But they did. Uh, barbers, barbers in Victorian London
0: pulled teeth Yes. did bloodletting. Yes, well, they were doctors basically back then. There's a reason why the barber pole is a white pole with red and blue ribbons on it. Is because it represents the veins and the pole that, they, that the the patient not would grip. Like that. Yes, and the pole the patient would grip when getting surgical procedures done. I so,
1: love that.
0: So that's why they'd have that special insignia by their store that would let you know, hey, I can do a surgery for you as well as something else.
1: Some kind of barbarous deed, exactly. Oh, so oh my
0: good. God. so good. That's um, awful. Yes, but yeah. So, so he challenges Pirelli, and the Beetle acts as the judge of the competition. Todd easily wins, and he promises a very impressed Beetle a free shave, the closest shave he will ever know. Ha Ha-ha. ha, ha 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 ha. Great You're one. Sat-a-wing. Yes. Exactly. Anthony then finds Todd and informs him of his plan to marry and steal away Joanna. Mrs. Lovett and Todd both agree to keep Joanna at the shop while he hires the escape coach. And Mrs. Lovett then suggests that because Todd is very excited for some killing, that he should kill Anthony so, 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 so that he can get whisker away to uh, out of London. At that point, Corelli then shows up at Todd's shop. Turns out he recognized Pirelli, or uh, Todd from the old days because Pirelli was actually a, like a little assistant to, to Benjamin Barker sweeping up hair. And so he tries to blackmail Todd and Todd commits his first murder by killing off Pirelli in a very dramatic fashion. It's wonderful. Uh, at that point, we then cut over to the judge's court where he informs the deal that he plans to marry Joanna. And the Beatles, suggesting that the judge needs to be more presentable, says you should go have a shave from this guy, Mr. uh, Mr. Sweeney Todd. And so then we get them walking over to see Todd. Todd greets the judge, and upon advice from Mrs. Lovett, who told him to not rush the murder, but wait and draw it out. He draws out this moment and misses his opportunity to actually slit his throat, because Anthony returns, saying the plan is a go. The judge is furious when he hears this, storms out, swearing he'll never see Todd again. He's going to lock his daughter away from everybody so nobody can find her again. Todd at that point has a mental breakdown where he swears vengeance on everybody, not just the judge and the Beatle, but everybody in London, basically, that he now has sworn vengeance on them all. At the same time, Mrs. Lovett then comes up with the idea of using Pirelli's recently deceased body As meat for her meat pies, as they have to dispose of the body somehow. Todd thinks this is a great idea and they decide they're going to kill all of his customers and use their flesh for meat pies. So that ends act one. Act two kicks off with a few weeks later with business doing really well for both of them. Todd has regular customers coming in and Mrs. Lovett is selling hot meat pies like crazy. Everybody is going crazy for her meat pies. She's driven her competition, Mrs. Mooney, out of business, basically. Right. Rats such a great opening to act too. And then we have Anthony wandering London trying to find Joanna. He finds her locked in an asylum. Todd then trains Anthony as a wig maker, because wig makers used to go to Bedlam to get their hair for their wigs. So he's like, well, disguise you as a wig maker, then you can get in and save Joanna. So he just does that, disguises disguises Anthony, sends him off to the asylum. Todd then writes a letter to the judge informing him of Anthony's plan and tells him that he is convinced Anthony to bring Joanna back to his shop later on tonight. So the judge should come and get her. Sweeney Todd does that. At the same time, the Beatle shows up to because of complaints about the stink from Mrs. Lovett's chimney and demands to see into the bakehouse. house. However, she won't let him in because Mrs. Lovett has locked her assistant, Tobias, who was the assistant of Pirelli, prior to his murder, in the bakehouse because he has started to suspect Sweetie Todd of murder as well. So Todd appears. He then convinces the beetle to come up for a shave. He then murders the beetle. And because Tobias is locked in the bakehouse where the bodies are sent after being murdered, he panics and runs and hides. Mrs. Lovett and Todd try to go to find him. and They go on a hunt for Tobias. Meanwhile, at the asylum... You have Antony's plane going horribly awry, and it ends up with Joanna shooting Mr. Fog, the head of the asylum, so they can escape, which results in the lunatics escaping from the asylum, which is which causes just even more frenzy. By this point, you can tell it's the story is spinning out of control. Bedlam,
1: ah, love it, <laughs> uh, love it, bedlam Congrats
0: times it. two. Yep. Yeah. city on fire. It's crazy. so good. And I will note that the musical theme used for the lunatics that escape from Bedlam is the same theme as the beggar woman because she rep- that's her madness theme. It's wonderful. Right, so they all escape, and then Anthony brings Joanna to the shop. He has now disguised her as a sailor, and he tells her to wait here for Sweeney Todd, and he's going to let the poach. Todd returns from his hunt for Tobias, unsuccessful. He knows the judge is coming. He then is getting ready for the judge when the beggar woman shows up at his shop trying to warn him of Mrs. Lovett. The judge then is heard coming up to his shop. Todd panics and kills the crazy beggar woman in in a in a moment of rushed haste to dispose of the problem. And he then kills the judge in a very climactic moment of the story. Joanna has been hiding in his shop the whole time has seen both these murders. tries to escape, however, she is caught by Todd and is also almost killed. However, he is distracted by Mrs. Lovett, who is who is heard screaming in the bakehouse. Todd then goes down to meet her, and in the bakehouse, he discovers that the bigger woman he just killed was his wife, Lucy. Lucy. And that's where yeah where the whole story comes out. That Mrs. Lovett didn't tell him the whole story, that she didn't. Die when she took the poison. She she simply went mad from the arsenic,
1: which never says that she dies. She
0: just said she poisoned herself, right? And Todd assumes that she dies, so so technically she's in the clear. But she also exploits that bit of miscommunication to her advantage because, as it turns out, she has been in love with Sweeney Todd and thinks she will make a better wife for him. And in a fit of rage, Sweeney Todd throws her into her bake oven. And burns her to death.
1: Maybe well, in, in in a way, she is the perfect foil for him. Well, it's like Lady Macbeth she and Macbeth, is right? the perfect match for Sweeney Todd. Yes. She's not the perfect match for Benjamin Barker.
0: Right. That is true. So after killing Mrs. Lovett off, Todd, then Cradles, his now dead wife. And Tobias emerges from hiding, having gone mad for everything he has seen. And he picks up Sweeney's abandoned razor. And kills Sweetie Todd in a very dramatic moment. At that point, the play ends with the police, Joanna, and Anthony all bursting into the bakehouse to find a mad Tobias still working with the meat grinder. And that's how the play ends. And that's Sweetie Todd. Yeah, it's a very dark ending. It's not a happy ending. It's very gross. It makes you squirm in your seat quite a few times. It's wonderful.
1: Well, it's the first time a musical has been that outwardly grotesque.
0: Yes, absolutely. So Autumn, I know in the past we've talked about Sondheim. We've talked yeah. about him. We've talked about Hal Prince, who was the original director and producer. Yeah. Who else do we have for the team that do we want to give a shout out to?
1: Well, interestingly, this... Piece was based off of a play that came out in 1970. It was written by Christopher Bond. Mm-hmm. Christopher Bond is a British playwright yep. who deals primarily with issues surrounding the British class structure. Figures. So he wrote uh, plays such as Mutiny, Sweeney Todd, Simple Simon, Not So Simple Simon, The Country Wife, The Adventures of Finn McCool, The Beggar's Opera, Tale of Two Cities. Mystery of Marty, Maria Martin and Alice on the Underground. What I found really staggering about this is that this play, when Sondheim first saw it, Mm -hmm. debuted at Theatre Royal Stratford East, which is the home theatre of Joan Littlewood, Queen of the Working Class in theatre. That's perfect. It's such a brilliant tie-in, you know, to the discussion of class and privilege and what Sweeney actually stands for. Yeah. It's bringing down that classism in an interesting kind of way. Yes. And then, of course, we have the wonderful Sondheim.
0: If he you want read, his full bio, listen to our episodes of Roll Along. Just know he yeah. Was accompanied
1: in this venture with book writer Hugh Callingham wheeler Yes, who was a British novelist, screenwriter, and librettist. Mm-hmm. He resided in the States from 1934 until his death.
0: Okay. When he, he died recently? Hugh Wheeler? When did he die? I don't know. Oh,
1: 1987.
0: Okay, so not too recently. He
1: did not live a long life. He wrote under the nom de plume Patrick Quentin, Hugh Patrick, and Jonathan Sagg, <laughs> and was a mystery novelist and short story writer. In 1963, his 1961 collection, The Ordeal of Mrs. Snow, was given a special Edgar Award by the Mystery Writers of America. There you go. Uh, he also wrote the books for A Little Night Music and Candide. Uh, ah, perfect, <laughs> Interesting. Wheeler was also credited as a research consultant for the film Cabaret, So many people think, and many sources say that he was actually a co-writer of the screenplay. I can believe
0: that. I can believe that. You definitely can see some of his thumbprints on there in in, in the adaptation.
1: Thousand percent. And of course, it was directed by Hal Prince. Yeah. So Hal and Sondheim Wheeler
0: based on Bond. It's, It's so good. So good. Let's now dive into production history because we've got some goodies in here. Sweeney Todd has his origins in the Victorian serialized popular fiction known as Penny Dreadfuls, which were these kind of novella horror stories where hack writers, people who were just looking to make a buck, could submit a story to, to get published, which is why we don't really know the author of the original Sweeney Todd. Penny Dreadful, because there was just no good records of keeping when, of who wrote what. There's a few candidates, but it's not really well known. Sweeney Todd appeared in the story, as you said, The String of Pearls, which was published in a weekly magazine during the winter of 1846 to 1847. And the original tale was set in 1785 and features Sweeney Todd. And there are many plot elements that have carried over from that first Version which includes like Joanna getting dressed up in sailor's clothes to the trick barber chair to Mrs. Lovett and the meat pies. There are certain particular plots that showed up, but in the original, there was no revenge plot. It was basically just a story about a guy who's a a thief and a murderer and is just killing people off. But in the original story, he doesn't slip their throats right away. What he does is he has him sitting in his barber chair and he pulls a switch. And that drops him down a chute into a pit, which kind of incapacitates them. And later on, he, his famous line of the stories is I'm going to go publish him off. And mm. then he'll go down and slip their throats with his razor. Mm. And that, but that was the line that actually was cut from the musical. They had, apparently, in early drafts, they had that line in there and they cut it for the sake of it not being, for the sake of it being too well known for them. and thought it pulled people out of the story that before it was actually finished publishing a penny draft, it was turned into a play. And then, as we noted, in in 1973, Sondheim saw the play that Christopher Bond wrote called Toony Todd and Barbara Fleet Street, and it was this version that Sondheim used as his base of the story, because Bond had taken a different route with the character. He had had given Todd a more well-rounded story, instead of just making him a classic (laughs) polish him off yeah kind of bad guy he gave todd the what we now know as the revenge plot which involves a ruthless judge who rapes his young wife and exiles him to australia that extra bit of plot gave a much more rounded figure to sweeney todd and it was because of that that sometimes like oh you actually can do something in here yeah, and, and well, it's and,
1: giving it's giving a serial killer a rationale to do what he does.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Thank God. Like, And in
0: Bond's play, there were little songs that kind of went in between the scenes, like little kind of like bargains, kind of like an oompa pah type of
1: mm-hmm.
0: rowdy situation. Very like John little Woody. Yes, very John little Woody. Very um, John little Woody. <laughs> yeah. And Sondheim thought, "Oh, well, the addition of music would greatly increase the drama." which is very true for film and Hitchcock, like, absolutely. And so and and he thought this would make a really unique theatrical experience. So so thus, Swann said about adapting it. He brought on Wheeler to help him because he was finding he just wasn't able to do music, lyrics, and book. He was finding the book was just getting longer and longer as he was trying to adapt it. So he brought somebody else on to write the book, which is the script, and he just said, I'm going to focus on the music and the lyrics. Mm. And he ended up, Doing eighty percent music for this production. Like there is mu there is sung music as well as underscore dialogue music as well. Very cinematic, once again. And it is, out of all the Sondheim canon, the most musical score he has with the most amount of music.
1: But um, it was also Sondheim, you know, started loving music through movie music. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably why he wrote this score the way he did. Yes. It is so cinematic. It's Mm -hmm. epic, And it it verges in between the opera and
0: musical theater world because of its scale, right? Yes, exactly. I mean, like, just go watch the scene where you have the dead Pirelli, who Todd is just kind of choked unconscious. And he puts Pirelli in a trunk in his shop with his hand sticking out. And Tobias, realizing that Pirelli has an appointment he's going to be late for, returns to the shop to try and get Pirelli. And the whole time, there's this bit of musical underscoring as the fingers wiggle. And Todd is noticing that Pirelli's waking up in the trunk. It's very cinematic, where it's like, you can cut to a camera, just zooming in on that hand as the fingers just start moving, and you see Todd just doing the crap, I gotta get this kid out of here, because I gotta finish this guy off. He's not dead yet, in the words of Monty Python.
2: No! I think I'm dead! I'm alive and yet, but here!
0: Thank you. Senor Barade has been called away. That's not after. He
2: didn't say. We didn't say. That was the contract with you! He didn't say. <laughs> So, Mrs. Lovett gave you a meat pie. Yes, sir, I'm a fine lady. Oh, pie. Oh, pie, that must be a treat. But knowing you're a grown boy, let's go and do it again tomorrow, yes? What's he so, so, making for? Oh, then why don't you go downstairs and make we'll me a master down there? I'm sure there'll be no pie for the Oh. Ask Mrs. Lovett to give you a nice, sweet, tall chip. Chip, sir? You're just chip eating, sir. Thanking yourself. Thanking you kindly.
0: But yeah, so very cinematic. And the biggest contribution Sondheim made was expanding Sweeney Todd's mental collapse in the subsequent plan for Mrs. Lovett's Meat Pies. Because in Christopher Vaughn's play, that entire sequence is half a page of dialogue.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And... Sontime expanded it into being two very key songs, which is Epiphany, sung by Sweeney, all that is mental breakdown. And then you have the comedic duet of Little Priest, that is the partner song for them concocting their meat pie plan. And this allowed for a much more careful reveal of the developing ideas and demented minds of Sweeney Todd and Mrs. Lovett. So that's Sontime working away on the project. Sondheim then brought the idea to director uh, Hal Prince, who at that time was his most frequent collaborator. And mm. Prince was not interested. No. Feeling it was a simple melodrama that was very experimentally not interesting. It was kind of like he thought it was bland. However, Prince soon discovered a metaphor in which to set the show, which was making what Sondheim had originally envisioned as a small horror piece into a colossal portrait of the Industrial Revolution. An, an examination of the general human condition of the time as, as is related to men like Sweeney Todd. And, okay. Sont, yeah, and Sondheim has commented saying, "How's metaphor is that the factory turns out Sweeney Todd's. It turns out soulless, defeated hopeless people. And that's what this play was about to him. Sweeney Todd is a product of that age. And then Sontime continues on saying, I think it's not. Sweeney Todd is a man bent on personal revenge the way We all are in one way or another and it has nothing whatsoever to do with the time he lived in, as far as I'm concerned.
1: (laughs) Which is, God is in the details, Sondheim. Come on. I know. I mean, but if you look at that, if you look at both of those comments mm -hmm. combined, they make a musical where the detail is and where the genius is. Yes. If someone else had directed this, the way that, song
0: song that originally song wanted, is,
1: envisioned, it would yeah. not have been as successful. No. So a majority of the success of this musical is has to go to Hal Prince.
0: Yes, because because yeah, you're right, and his idea of the factory churning people out is so uh, it's such a great image, uh, and it's something you used when you did.
2: Oh, what a lovely
0: war. How about the no. factory of war doing the same thing, churning men out to be killed? And yeah. So basically, even though they had different points of view with each other on the musical, Sondheim agreed with Prince about doing the show. And his reason was because he, because he thought this was a great opportunity to do the show on a large scale, knowing that a small scale production can be done at any time. Now that Prince is on board, now you got to cast the darn show. So when it came to casting, Sondheim thought veteran stage and screen actress Angela Lansbury would add some needed comedy to the grim tale as the lunatic cockney shopkeeper Mrs. Lovett. But Lansbury needed convincing. She was, by this point in the late 70s, she was a star. She was a polionema. She had done Mentoring Candidate. She was about to go do Murder, She Wrote. She'd been doing a whole bunch of MGM movies and stage stuff. She'd she a name. Anyone Can Whistle. She was a big name to get, totally. uh, for sure. He would be hiring Meryl Streep to come do your show. And so she needed convincing, because as she pointed out, your show is not called Nelly Lovett. It's called Sweeney Todd, and I'm not the second banana. So sometime after I had to audition for her to convince her, so he wrote a couple songs, including Prepatter's song, A Little Priest. And he gave her the key to the character by saying, I want Mrs. Lovett to have a music hall vibe. And the minute she heard that, having grown up in the British vaudeville music halls, she got it and went, okay, I get it. And she formally agreed to do the project, saying that she loved the extraordinary wit and intelligence of Sondheim's lyrics. So Sondheim gets Lansbury into the cast. He then selected Canadian actor and singer, Len Cario, as mm-hmm. his personal choice to play the Tortured barber. And Kerio actually worked with the singing coach specifically for this part to get to make sure he had the range, Yeah. both speaking wise and vocally to do this role. Well, it's a difficult thing. It's very <laughs> difficult. I mean, I mean, I would love to play Sweeney. I, that's a role I would die <laughs> to play.
1: And I will play Love It.
0: Autumn, we told you to do a cabaret of Yumi doing uh, a little priest.
1: I don't know if I could sing it. That's, it's so
0: hard. We could do it. We'll have to practice. Full props to anyone who can do this. You and I will work on it. We, okay. You and I will definitely be Mrs. Yeah. Lovett and Sweeney Todd. I'll so we'll do it as a Patreon gift. Oh, my goodness. That'd be great. I'll have so, to affect my baking skills or not. It's true. You don't have to be a good baker for this. No.
1: Sure.
0: But yeah. Okay. So with the two leads cast, the one hurdle they had was that Prince was very absorbed with staging this mammoth production. So a lot of the character work was left to Cario and Lansbury to do. So rehearsals went well. From what I understand, there were a number of songs they cut and changed. Like This is a big show for changing and rewriting songs. Hmm. One of the major songs that was cut was a song called Joanna that Judge Turpin sings.
2: Joanna, Joanna, I cannot keep you longer. The world is at your window. You want to fly away. You stir me, Joanna, so suddenly a woman. I cannot watch you one more day. God, deliver me! God, deliver me! God, deliver God!
0: And it was to be the song where it was going to have the first orgasm for a character on stage. George Chippen was supposed to have an orgasm or ejaculation on stage as he whips himself for his, un, for his oh. lustful thoughts of Joanna. Right. And this was deemed by the producing team too graphic and redundant, so they cut that song. It has since been added back into several revivals. The show opened on Broadway at the Urus Theater, now known as the Gershwin Theater, where Wicked plays on March the 1st, 1979. And the original cast included Angela Lansbury as Mrs. Lovett, Lancario as Sweeney Todd, Canadian Victor Garber as mm. Anthony, Sarah Rice as Joanna, Murrow Lewis as the Beggar Woman, Ken Jennings as Tobias, Edmund Lundeck as Judge Turpin, mm. who went on to reproduce the role several times, including in the 1982 film version. Ooh. And then you have Joaquin Robin Guerra as Pirelli, and Jack Eric Williams as Beetle Bamford. Hmm. So, nice cast. The production was nominated for nine Tony Awards, including Best Musical, Best Book and Score, Best Performance for both Carrio and Lansbury, Best Direction, Best Scenic Design, and Best Costume Design. It won eight out of the nine. It lost for Best Lighting Design. Hmm. It closed on June 29, 1980 after running 500 and 57 performances, and 19 previews. So not a huge run originally. Like It did okay. It won Best Musical. It was there. I mean, you forget that in the late 70s or early, early 80s, this was a very different musical that people weren't familiar with. Mm-hmm. Having a musical where you have people being killed on stage repeatedly having their throats slit was very horrifying to people. People were shocked by this.
1: Well, and I think um,
0: it's so interesting.
1: Uh-huh in a way this makes a much better film because it does. people can choose to go. I think that's the, a producer's tendency to go small with this mm-hmm. because it is incredibly graphic yeah, and not a mass mm-hmm. It's not to mass appeal. Right. So I understand the smallness, but it also, you know, I I like the idea of going large with it. I think it's... You have to. You have to. This is a but big how show. do you sell it? That's a producer's problem is how do you sell this?
0: Well, I will say this has now become one of sometimes most produced musicals. Yeah, so, but, but
1: never on a large scale.
0: That's true. It's a lot of concert versions. Like tiny, yeah, yeah. because people yes. want to do it. Well, it's well, it's well, once again, it's getting you close and intimate with the violence. When you do it small, it's like you're right tight in there with the violence. Yeah, but I don't the
1: know. whole idea of it is that people were on the outside of the violence, looking in. That's kind of what London was like. Like there was this mm-hmm. effective where you were just on the outskirts of violence all the time, right? Yes. But that's a loss um, unless it actually affected you. But it's that idea that things. That's why an immersive version of this is was so ideal.
2: Mm-hmm. I would
1: tell you it is another way of doing this. Yep. Musical.
0: Yes, we will get into that. Yes, I'm stand sure by. We will. Well, I will tell you all about it when we get to experiences. But. The North American tour started on February 23rd, 1982 in Delaware, and it ended in July 1982 in Toronto. It starred June Havoc, who, if you don't know who she is, the sister of Gypsy Rose Lee. Oh, interesting. She is, she is the baby older, June. she is baby June, correct. She was Mrs. Lovett, and you had Ross Petty as Sweeney. You're making you a face, out. Yeah. Really? Yeah. There's a uh, we'll trust we worry yet to all the different Sweeney's and Mrs. Lovett, because this show has attracted a lot of big names. Well, oh, yeah. It, but it for nice. the for that 2 we're in production, you had June Havoc and Ross Petty. The original London production opened on July 2nd, 1980 in the West End's Royal Drury Lane Theatre, and it starred Dennis O'Lilly as Sweeney and Sheila Hancock as Mrs. Lovett. And the show ran for only 157 performances.
1: So up. what
0: must have be, been. Despite mixed reviews, the production did win the Lee for Best New Musical of nineteen eighty, but it closed on November 14th, nineteen eighty. So it was a very short run originally. But it wasn't
1: like Theatre Lane is, it, is monstrous. It's where Eastwick was.
0: It's huge. Oh, okay, it's a big theater. And, and you know who was a frequent visitor to that theater during its initial run was director Tim Burton who became enthralled with this musical when he saw it. Well, it's really up his alley. It is. It is, which is why he did the film. Which we we'll are get, which we're actually now out of my notes. So in 2007, the musical was adapted for film by Tim Burton. It yeah. starred Johnny Depp as Sweeney Todd, Helen Bottom Carter as Mrs. Lovett, Alan Rickman as Judge Turpin, Timothy Spall as Beetle Bamford, and Sasha Baron Cohen as Pirelli. The film mm-hmm. notably cut the choral segments, including the ballads of Sweeney Todd. And its many reprises, because they felt it was too theatrical. It wasn't cinematic. It was a very theatrical device, which works great on the stage, but they had originally planned to do them with Christopher Lee being the first main balladeer, and they cut it because they were they just went this isn't working for the film. Interesting. So they cut it, which is too bad. Yeah, I,
1: I the film worked. And of all it, movie musicals, I'm going to say this
0: is like one of the best adaptations. Well, they knew what to cut, and they knew the form they were making it for. Like, I love Injo Lanesbury, but she was playing to the back of the house with her Mrs. Lovett. It Helen Bottom Carter. Though she has this weaker singing voice, she's playing to the camera. It's a much more intimate look at the character. Although this is written kind
1: of like an opera, he calls it a dark operetta. <laughs> Which is interesting. Yes. Yeah. I don't think you need to be a good singer. I think you need to be a damn good actor to pull these roles off. Yes. Johnny Depp is not a good singer either. He actually does okay with the character's singing
0: voice. Yeah. Like, I actually didn't mind his singing voice in the best. Yeah. But his acting for the character was really good. I think it's one of his best acting performances he's ever given. I, yeah. I do too. It
1: was complicated. It was... Mm-hmm. But Helena Bonham Carter can do anything because she just knows how to tell a story.
0: She's yes. so, she is so good. Mm-hmm. So good. I mean, the cast he assembled was fantastic. I remember hearing about this film. So this film was also notable for the graphic violence of the story uh, that Tim Burton exploited with the amount of blood spurting and the fact that he brought back the trick chair that was cut from the stage show because in the stage show they can't have this elaborate trick chair in the stage show it's a very simple, in the production you pull the lever on the chair and you just slid down a chute but in Tim Burton's version he brought back the trick chair where it flips back and tips the victim down a chute head first so they land on their head to really kill them off good and you hear the crunch of their neck as they smack on the smoke oh, floor nice. you stayed,
2: Joanna Anna. the way
1: The blood is not really realistic looking, mm-hmm.
0: so it looks kind of gobby and paint-like. It's very hyper red, and the fact they, in fact, they heightened that with the fact they made the rest of the film very gray yeah. and almost black and white, and then you have this bright red.
1: Yeah, it's like a, it's a visual effect. It's very Tim yes. Burton because there's an element of play in it, right? Yes, like this is real, but it's not real. Like, yes. this is the kind of blood as a child you see in your imagination. Mm-hmm. So there's yes. kind of playing on that idea mm-hmm. that we see as kids, what we imagine, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. It's so epically grotesque
0: that it mm-hmm. almost diminishes the grotesqueness of it. Well, it kids is probably- ed- in a good way. So the other notable film version of this show is one they filmed with Lansbury as it and George Hearn as Todd when it was on tour and at in an L.A. in 1982. Nice. And it's a wonderful film stage version of the original production. It was aired on the Entertainment Channel, which was the predecessor to the A&E channel. And it was very popular. It was released on home video and the Tick production was nominated for five Primetime Emmy Awards in 1985, including Outstanding Individual Performance for a Variety or Music Program, and George Hearn won that performance award. So there you go. Other notable Sweeney Tas include George Hearn, Shawshank Redemption's Bob Gunton. Mm-hmm. You have original Tenardier from Les Miserables, Aline Armstrong. You have original Marius Michael Ball. You have a TV and stage actor, Michael Siveris, and TV and film star, Kelsey Grammer, have all tackled this role. So notable Mrs. Lovitz include original Miss Hannigan, Dorothy Loudon, uh-huh. film, TV and stage star, Christine Baranski. You have film stars, Emma Thompson and Imelda Staunton, Broadway diva, Patti Lapone, original mm-hmm. Phantom of the Opera, Carlotta Judy Kaye. And original London Donna in Mamma Mia and Perrone's original mistress in Evita, Anne McCarthy, have all tackled And this. Julia McKenzie. And Julia McKenzie, yes. Yeah. You know, from Follies. Yeah. it's great. But yeah. Yeah, a lot of big names have all come through. And I mean, there's been a lot of not- notable judges, including Philip Frost, our my favorite, Javert. Uh, like, there's, you know, Patrick Harris has played Tobias. There's been a whole bunch of big names that have all come through and done this show. It's wonderful. Love it. Yeah. All right. So, Autumn, how did you first come to this show?
1: I don't even know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I've known it forever. I just, I don't know. I cannot pinpoint the exact moment where I was like, oh, yeah, I know that. It's not a show I've known very well. Interesting. I think, I know. I know. Even living in London, it was not something I knew very well. Mm -hmm. Even though I'm, I I mean, I've read about the Penny Dreadfuls. I've read about, Mm -hmm. of course, Sweeney Todd. Yeah. But it's more recent for me, like since the movie came out. Yeah. And I saw a production at Sheridan. A couple years, ago, maybe 10 years ago now. Okay.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It was okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I came to it from the 2007 film. That was my... Yeah. first experience when I saw the movie trailer on Tribute.ca when I was scrolling through upcoming releases and new trailers and that came mm. up and the trailer didn't include any of the film music. The only part of the musical that was shown in the trailer was Epiphany. Mm. It's not even the singing part, it's the part where Todd comes in and does the, alright! Who sir? You, sir. Welcome to the grave.
2: Alright! You, sir! No one's in the chair. Come on. Come on. Sweeney. Waiting. I want you bleeders. You, sir. Two, sir. Welcome to the grave. I will have vengeance. I will have salvation. I can guarantee the closest shave you will ever know.
0: That whole sequence. Right. And that hooked me. I was like, ooh, what is this? So I went on YouTube to start Googling Sweeney Todd. And that's how I came across the 1982 stage version, which I fell in love with right away. And I was so shocked when I remember watching it for the first time and you get the prologue in in, No Place Like London. And then you cut to Mrs. Lovett's shop and out of the door comes Angela Lansbury, who at that point, I'd only known her as Mrs. Potts, the teapot in Beauty and the Beast.
2: Barely even friends, then somebody bends, unexpectedly, just a little change, small to say the least, both a little scared, neither one prepared,
0: beauty and the beast. I had no idea that she was also Mrs. Lovett. So I remember watching, and my job basically dropped in four. I was like, she's playing this villainous character? you not watch Murder, She Wrote? Not till later on. It's not till I got into my mid-teens when I started doing my 80s binge, where I watched Golden Girls, Murder, She Wrote. Oh my god. Matlock, Columbo, On the Family, Hogan's Heroes, all those retro shows that, that I watched.
1: Hilarious. I love
0: you. Yeah, right? (laughs) But yeah, I didn't know that she had done this at first until I watched this and went, oh my goodness, it's her. That's her. That's her. Uh, Yeah, so uh, because the film was rated R because of the graphic violence of the Tim Burton film, I was not able to see it in theaters and my parents refused to take me because they had no desire to see the show. This is what, this is a show that like they have said that if I direct a production, I'll have to drag them to come and see it. How old were
1: you in 2007? Do I want to know?
0: 2007? I would have been grade 7, grade 8. So I would have been like 12, 13. And around there. I was young. Like I was young when that came out. But I got the DVD. The two disc special edition DVD. As a gift. From my parents. And I watched that on repeat. Like, I was enthralled with this thing. Like, I still will put it on as I'm cooking in the kitchen, sometimes just as background, because I know the movie so well I don't have to watch it to know exactly what's happening. What's
1: happening, yeah.
0: Yeah, and then since then I've watched many of the concert versions, including the Emma Thompson version, the Patti Lapone version. So good. So good. All of them are great. And then I got to finally see a live production of it when I did my trip to London with our friend Lynn. Shout out to you, Lynn. Yes, uh, her and I went on the Curious. Yay. I know we miss you. So her and I went over to London on the Curious Voyage, where talk is free, which was an immersive, devised production of Sweeney Todd, where it started in Barry, where you did a whole bunch of immersive things that were that fit along the lines of Sweeney Todd that asked you questions about could you kill someone for vengeance that type of thing, really pushing you uh, into this really dark place and then the next day they fly you over to London and then the day after that you do a day where in the morning you are touring around like Covent Garden kind of a nice end of London in the parks and you're getting to do immersive things it's again on a mystery hunt for this guy named Anthony that you're trying to find and then sure enough you get brought over to the more darker seedier end of London on a barge on an actual old coal barge. And then you end up in this 1930s old coal factory that had a hole in the floor that where the Thames was bubbling through and the walls were coated in coal dust. And it it was a perfect immersive environment. It was me and about 20 other people on this tour production. About half of them came from London. And then the other half were with, actually, sorry, three quarters of my company was from one doing the one day version. And then there was about eight of us who did the full three day immersive experience. And sure enough, you get brought into the basement of this decrepit old building and all the actors are lined up in tableau. And then the minute you sit down, you get the whistle sound and the music starts. And then you move through this building repeatedly. To different areas to be in the bakehouse. They actually had a kitchen in the building that had running water, so they could turn the water on and Mrs. Love could cook in the kitchen. Mm. You then had like a room that served as like the barber shop in like outside London, like where the competition was. They it was all immersive. Did Mitchell yeah. coachman direct that? Uh, I believe so. I think it was him. I think it was him who directed it. There were a few directors. There was a director who covered the devised side of things on the very end, and there was a director who covered the Sweeney end in London. And then there was another company that did the devise stuff in London as well. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It was fantastic. It was wonderful. All right. What is your first song of your top three songs? This was hard. This was very hard. There was a number of songs that I really wanted to include. That. I was like, no, I've got to do top three. What are my most? I don't have a bottom three. I have some that's not a bottom three, but there are songs that I will skip and we'll get into that.
1: I'm just, I'm letting you know, I don't have a bottom three. No, a bottom three.
0: Fair enough. All Um, right, what is your number one, though?
1: The Ballad of Sweeney Todd.
0: That is my number two. Attend the tale of Sweeney Todd.
2: His skin was pale and his eye was odd. He shaved the faces of gentlemen who never thereafter were heard of again. He trod a path that few have trod to Sweeney Todd, the demon armor of Leeton Street. He kept a shop in London town, of fancy clients in good renown. And what if none of their souls were saved? They went to their maker impeccably shaved. My Sweeney, my Sweeney Todd! A demon robber of Fleet Street.
1: I just think it has that kind of industrial sound, it's dirty, it's gritty, it's da da it has What's that journey. Yes. It has the very Victorian feel to it. A yes. melodram. It's melodramatic yet not. Yes. And it keeps, it's that theme that keeps coming back, keeps, it's a haunting, right? Yes. And the lyrics are amazing.
0: They are. They are. They absolutely are. Like, like I have a moment here that, this is one of the most iconic openings of a musical that we've yeah. ever come across. Like a from ten the minute. Tale. Right? Okay, so we'll get into that. Yeah. But like even before that, you have the organ playing as the audience comes in. And yeah. then you have the factory whistle that scares everybody every time. It doesn't yeah. matter who you are. That factory whistle is terrifying. And then right away, the audience is jarred and disoriented. And then you have all these actors come in and they break the fourth wall. So now they're talking directly to you right away. This isn't a show where the audience can just sit back and watch. They are going to be drawn into the story right away. And you're right, it's haunting. It's a haunting. And the dearest era shows up right in the first line.
1: Mm-hmm. Attend
0: the tale of Sweeney Todd. And this Eerie is one that we know throughout musicals and film scores. Mm-hmm. Like it's used in the Mordor theme in Lord of the Rings. It's used in opera. It is the iconic death scene that you have in music. It's ever present here.
1: It's Uh, all over. But just that idea that he starts with attend the tale. Like it's something like, it's an invitation, but it's old. Like it's very Victorian. Like you're
0: Victorian. It moves the audience right away to a different time period.
1: Yes. But it's also, I'm going to tell you a story. Yes. And it's one of those great opening lines. I directed a play called The Good Thief. Right. And the first line with Let's
0: begin with an incident. And I'm like, "Oh, it hooks the audience. It hooks the audience it's right like, away. It's very similar to the opening of Henry V where the chorus comes out on stage and talks directly to the audience with that O oh, for a muse of fire that would ascend the brightest heavens. Yeah. Like it's that uh, first big opening, that opening that just gets you right away. And you're right, the lyrics are so great because they're hard sounding words, like inconspicuous, neatness, trod, quick. Like they're not lyrical words, and because of that, it comes are. across as conversational. They have, they also have an efficiency
1: to them, yes. which was what the industrial revolution was about. A yes. tale of swing, we talk. There's a like a pace. Yes. Right. Yes. Exactly. There's an like you can hear. It's almost like cogs turning on a machine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. It has that mechanical sound to it. Yes. Which is so interesting, and you can just you can hear London in it. You can hear the Mm lamplighters. Hear you know the calls of newsboys. You Mm -hmm. can hear the poverty in it it just has a cacophony ah. like layers it has layers yes in it which i find
0: so good mm-hmm. and huge and epic well especially it's huge epic when you get the swing your razor high sweet yeah Like it's just big big, when that sound hits. Well, there's
1: also like this, this larger than life quality to it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like this impressionistic view, like a Turner painting of London. Yes. Or Whistler, right? It has this smog idea. Mm -hmm. Like, is this real? Is it not real? We're tantalizing you. Yeah. It's like this ghost story. And I yes. love that. I love that conceit. It's like, ooh,
0: we're in an Agatha Christie novel, musical. Right? You and know? what's neat, back, uh, piggybacking off that, what's neat is this song sets up the monster in, in Sweeney Todd, but then the very next scene we get the human of Sweeney Todd, where we get to hear his sympathetic backstory. So then it's like, oh, who is this guy? And then we have to wait as an audience until the end of act one where we see this monster come to form
1: mm-hmm.
0: like this is such a great opening song it's just so <clears throat> it's there it's beautiful it's one that i will hum i think it's actually sometimes most hummable tune in the can like one of his most hummable songs
1: uh-huh.
0: like I I, I I could be working away in the kitchen and just do the ba-dum 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 da-da-da-da-da-da but my number one, though, is a different song. It is, okay, in fact, that? one. It is A Little Priest.
2: What is that? It's Priest. Have a little priest. Is it really good? Sir, so it's too good, at least. Then again, they don't commit sins of the flesh. So it's pretty fresh. Awful lot of fat. Only where it's at. Haven't you got poet or something like that? Now you see, the trouble with poet is how do you know it's deceased? Try the priest. Mmm, heavenly. Not as hearty as bishop, perhaps, but then not as bland as curate either. Good for business, too. Always leaves you wanting more. Trouble is, we only get it on Sundays.
0: Which is by far my favorite song of the whole show.
1: Yeah. Something
0: I waltz to and sing as I'm cooking in the kitchen. It was not on
1: my list. I know. I guess it's too jaunty for you. I get the jaunty too. Okay. It is (laughs) jaunty. Look, there's not a bad song in this show. I just find other songs more interesting. Yes. It's it's a masterpiece, though. It's a masterpiece character song for Love It. Mm -hmm. I think the lyrics are ingenious. Yes, they and are. it's like taking the piss out of the upper classes. It does exactly what Mercutio's Queen Mab speech does. Yes,
0: it does. It absolutely it's does not Very similar, and I wonder if he used that as reference. Well, what well what you couldn't as reference, but what was what inspired Songtime for this song was one line in that half page of dialogue in the sequence, the Bond play, which was they laugh helplessly and yeah that was the stage direction he was like what are they laughing about and he figured it out he was like oh they're laughing at their plan and so the minute he had that idea he wrote the song and it's the perfect point in the show where you need a song like that because you've had two very tense moments with the attempted murder of the judge with pretty women and then you have epiphany that follows right after so the audience is like pent you know, up like they are feeling tense and then you have this song where you can't help but laugh. Oh it's fantastic but it's at the also, same time it's also looking at class again
1: and oh, absolutely. It's what, at class. like what person in the lower classes does not like it's interesting what would you do Well, would you kill someone like these questions are very relevant especially in a time like victorian london mm-hmm. like h- how far does your morality go how absolutely go? and you know she was cooking cats and things and like well no miss Lovell was cooking cats her neighbor mrs mooney mooney but mrs. Love
0: apparently here. can't get them because they're too quick
1: <laughs> that's, that's solving cat problems right like yeah You know, in the earlier times, they used cats in cat pianos. So there you go,
0: there you go. But yeah, no, like this is the great release song. But then you're laughing at the dad jokes and the puns. But then you have to sit back and go, wait a minute, I'm laughing about murder and cannibalism here.
1: Why is that scary to people?
0: That is the bigger question. Well, because first of all, murder is illegal and it's bad. (laughs) Cannibalism is taboo. So these two topics are very fringe topics, but
1: I think they're scary and taboo because ultimately the human condition will do anything to survive.
0: Well, that's I have that in my notes here. So that's exactly what it is. Sondheim has given a a way of allowing us to release that pent-up natural human thing because we're naturally we are a killing, murderous. We're mammals. mammals. Yeah, we're a special type of mammal that murders and kills each other. Not many mammals do that. We do. But we as a society have repressed those urges. And yet we still all have that in us. So the fact we're watching this take place and we're able to kind of joke along with them. It's like, oh, I actually can release a little bit of that evil tension I got inside me. Which is great. So Sondheim, when he was writing this, he had a few notes that he talked about, which is one that the rhyming schemes was difficult for him, because not many professions or social statuses are one syllable, like priest. There's a lot of two syllable ones, but he found that was very clunky for rhyming.
2: Now, what have I got here? I've got, uh, got uh, Tinker? Something pinker. Taylor, Something paler. Potter? Something hotter. Butler? Something subtler. Locksmith?
0: So he actually ended up writing 26 pages of notes with over 100 professions and titles. And he tried to fit as many as he could into the song. So, a lot of stuff in there. And even though the song is a straightforward song, like, structurally, it's not complex. No. But Mm -hmm. underneath that, there's a lot of complexity going on, where you have the Mrs. Lovett motif from Worst Pies with the, wait, what you rush, what you hurry?
2: Wait, what you rush, what you hurry? You gave me such a fright. I thought you was a ghost. Half a minute, can't you sit, sit, you down, sit. All I meant is that I haven't seen a customer for weeks. Did you come here for a pie,
0: that whole bit that starts and that becomes the melody for A Little Priest.
2: What is that? It's fop, farnest in the shop. Oh, we have some shepherds pie-peppered with actual shepherd on top. And I just begun. Is the politician so oily it's served with a dually Have one? Put it on a bun where you never know if it's going to run.
0: So you get that evolution of her character motif in the show which also shows that she is the villain of the story she okay she full on accelerates a whole bunch of people's murders and then serves people up in meat pies like that's pretty damn dark go kill a cat you don't go kill people for a meat pie yes i get it she's fighting her class i know i get it i don't think she's a
1: villain i'm sorry i don't she's a villain i think she's an opportunist
0: i think that's Okay. But yes, musically though, we do get it's the evolution of Mrs. Levin in this song where you get her worst pies melody that becomes the a more expanded melody of Little Priest. And then you also have the dissonant chords being played as an underscore that increase with the song. And as that happens, you get the idea of their continual descent into madness, these two. So it, it's building and building with this Bam, 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 and dissonance means that there are notes that clash.
1: I don't know if they go mad. I think
0: madness is a very convenient excuse. I think Todd snaps. The minute an epiphany happens, he snaps. That's his breakdown mentally. And Mrs. Lovett, she's just unlocking a darker aspect of herself, the murderous <coughs> side of her that's I always think that's been too there.
1: Convenient.
0: I, I think don't know.
1: Mad is too convenient. They're not mad. They would not be able to, they would not be able to carry out the things they do if they were completely mad. It's more interesting if they are sane. <laughs> they're in their right minds.
0: They know what okay, they're fine. doing. Okay, fine. Okay, fine. So instead of calling it sentient madness, call it their descent into their evil deeds. Into their chaos. Colors. Their chaos. Yes. Their their crime spree. Which fits once, again, fits once again, with that dissonant chord that you hear. Mm. In the music as it builds to the end of the song. And the waltz, as the song goes, it picks up
1: speed as well. Mm-hmm. So it's
0: this whirlwind of treachery that's just getting faster and faster and faster. Have
2: charity towards the world, my pet. Yes, yes, I know my love. We'll take the customers that we can get. Hi ballalo. Let's discriminate great from small, no we'll serve anyone, meaning anyone, anyone
0: at all. And The audience is sitting on the edge of their seat by the end. They're leaning continually forward throughout the song until at the end you get this big ba and then it's like, oh, intermission, but it's set everything up now for act two. Everything is done for the audience. Yeah. Now all the show has to do is knock those pins down. But yes, A Little Priest, my number one. You're yeah. not on your list. My number two was The Ballad of Sweetie Todd. Nice. Autumn, what is your number two?
1: My number two is Pretty Women. Pretty
2: Women. Hey, stay within you. And stay stay forever. Pretty women, pretty women, blowing oh, out their the candles, or combing oh, out their hair. Even, even when they, when they leave, leave, they still are there. They're there are oh, pretty women at the mill, in the garden, and writing, whether watching how they may. may.
0: Almost made my list, but this the third song was something was was something else for me. But Pretty Women I, is this great song. I, I love that they're.
1: It's just so intricate, mm-hmm. and you know they're both singing about pretty women, and
0: Well, they're singing about different di- women differently. Like Todd's version of singing about women is very wholesome and sweet, and Turpins is very lustful and lecherous, like like he's singing about them naked or in the shadows and tossing about them gardening. Like there are two, like there are two very different ways of singing about women. It's it's, but it's, very, but it's objectifying them either way. Like this is a very objectified. It is, it is but
2: in
1: that it's it's so interesting to think of them moving around each other's mindsets and yes. it's kind of like a it's a provocation it's so right.
0: it's almost a love duet for the judge and for sweeney Sweeney, oh totally and it's like a, it's a bromance song where these two guys are bonding over their love of women but turban doesn't realize that the guy he's bonding with is the guy who he sent to australia and plans to murder him
1: But there's, it's, it's more conniving. Like, Toss is, the inner machinations of the song fascinate me. And it's beautiful. Beautiful,
0: Beautiful, yes. It's very Hitchcockian, this song. It's very Hitchcockian, where the audience is expecting the murder to happen. And the whole time they're just sitting on their seat going, we've just seen a murder Pirelli when's like like when's he gonna slip this guy's throat no that's what makes it really great it's fantastic i love it it's just like what hitchcock said where where he goes there are two ways of telling a story one is the audience is with the characters the whole time and it's discovering things as they discover it or it's the audience is ahead of the characters and they know something
1: so well so, and that's so to the say it we're solidly with sweeney and we're
0: like well, we're we're seeing, but we're ahead of Sweeney, because we've already thought, we've already predicting what's going to happen. We've so already like, predicted him dead by the end of the scene. Correct. And it's the same thing that when Hitchcock goes like: there's a bomb under a table, and there's two ways going about it. One is, audience doesn't know the bomb's there and you blow up the room with the people sitting around the table, and it shocks them for two seconds. No. The other way that Hitchcock liked doing, and that's what this scene does, which is you show the audience that there is a bomb under the table, and you you say there's a two-minute timer on the bomb. So now the audience is sitting and waiting for that two-minute timer to go off, which builds tension and anxiety. It's the same thing here. We've seen Todd commit murder. We know there's a dead body in the trunk on stage. And now he's got the guy who really wants to kill sitting right here in his chair, throat exposed, unawares, so good. And talking to it, and the fact in the music, there's this pulse that's beating like a, a, like almost if you put your fingers to your throat to feel your pulse going. That bum, bum,
2: bum, bum. Mm-hmm. And, as- and who may yet be said is your intended son? My ward. Pretty, pretty as a Pretty as mm-hmm. What was that? Pretty women, fascinating, sipping coffee, dancing. Pretty women are a wonder. Pretty women. Yeah.
0: Closer to the moment where he's or Todd's actually about to commit the crime, the pulse quickens.
2: As you're living, pretty rhythm, sir. Pretty rhythm, yes. Pretty rhythm, sir. Pretty rhythm, sir. She says she'll marry me Sunday. Everything's set to be you.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's, cool. it's
2: beautifully
0: yeah. scored. Like, yes. It's, brilliant in that detail it's um, funny it's funny too because the first time because we see Todd lather him up yeah and you get this build of music where you think oh my god he's gonna sit through and then it's shape and it's a laugh. and he always unless it's a laugh from the audience when you watch that moment happen because the audience is like oh, okay. okay thank god But then we- it's like We're with that right now and then their tension goes right back up again because they go okay well i didn't kill him that time when's he gonna do it yeah, exactly. It's so good. Yeah. It's
1: such it's, a great it's song. The, it's the anticipation, right? Yes, yes. And the beauty, the lyricism of this mm-hmm. music that just kind of, it—it it is a great play of opposites, right? Yes. It's almost like soothing the anxiety, but building it at the same time. And it's creating this, like, this thing that's going to explode, I think it's mir- miraculous. I love yes,
0: that. I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. I'm just flipping through my soundtrack book to make sure you haven't missed any fun notes. Well, the other, we thing is,
1: the other thing is, you know, he's talking about pretty women and you can see, you can just imagine the pain that Todd mm-hmm. is sitting on. Yes. And the care that he takes in that first stroke of the razor. Yes. And the the waiting, mm-hmm. which is, there is nothing worse than waiting. And Wait,
0: now, which, yeah. He does. Yes, he does. And that ties back to the other song that's come before this, which is Wait. And Mrs. Levitt sings that when you first hear it, you're like, why are we hearing a song called Wait? That's about flowers and decorating a room. But then you get to this song. Well, exactly. But it doesn't pay off for the audience until you see the song. And you go, ah, got I it. I don't even think it's about that.
1: I have a more interesting analysis of that
0: song. Okay. All right. Fair enough. We're going to get to that song then. But yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh, it's so good. Cause Todd takes Mrs. Lyrics or Mrs. Lyrics advice of weight don't rush the moment too literally and he waits too long like uh, she just meant savor the death don't like labor it but he labors it and it results in him missing his opportunity it's such a good song like it it totally misdirects the audience it's so good Uh, my number three though is the joanna quartet
2: If I never hear your voice My turtle dove, my dear I still have reason to rejoice The way ahead is clear Joanna And And in that darkness When (laughs) I'm blind (gasps) With what I can't forget It's always morning in (display) my mind My little lamb Joanna.
0: Mm. The, the song in act two where you have so many things going on it is it's a piece where you have sweeney todd killing off customers you have anthony searching for joanna you have the beggar woman desperately pleading to for people to, to like look You're you right. have to see you have to see what's going on. And then you have the missing fourth element, which is Joanna herself as the invisible fourth person of this quartet. Yes. But yeah, like this song, like I don't like the first version in act one that Anthony sings. I find that boring as ever, which we'll get into uh, later on. Yeah. But this song, it's complex. Like the melt, yeah. like you talk about the beginning of the show where you have that cobblestone rhythm. Mm. It shows up in this song. It's almost jaunty with the way that it's that bum bump bum 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 bump bum bump, 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 bump. it's a ticking clock of death for all these customers but at the same time it's like oh i actually can like tap my foot and kind of bounce my head as todd sings it's also about like the you
1: know. rays were going
0: back and forth on the yes on on, on the lathe, yes uh-huh. like that yeah and then yeah todd's singing jauntily where he goes the and are you beautiful and pale with yellow hair like her it's a it's very rhythmic Hmm. dun 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 dun. but at the same time a machine it is like a machine it's very mechanical and then the fact that then throughout the song you have these peppered great murders that are just accents to the story and i love the scene in the movie tim burton did a great adaptation of the scene for the film cutting that whole rhythm of the chair and the fall and the head hitting on the ground and the slitting of the throat. Like it is a masterpiece of filmmaking in that scene. It is. I agree. It is beautiful and it's horrifying. Audiences are terrified. The lyrics of Sweeney are something that Sondheim talks about how he tried to capture the idea of an ex-prisoner being released from prison, having to come back to his family. even though his family has moved on in age and has grown up and he's now, trying to relive that part of his life that he lost. Like, is that thing of, Todd's stuck in the past with Joanna, where he's talking about her as a child, but yet she's a grown woman now. Yeah. Like, there's that thing of that block that Sweeney's having that he's trying to work through throughout the song. It's great. Yeah. It's wonderful. It, I guess, yeah, I agree. It's phenomenal. It's such a complex, beautiful song. I love it. All right, Adam, what is your number three? Is it weight? Wait. I have two. two. Okay. All right. All Um, right. So, wait number number is wait. Hush, love,
2: hush. Think it through. Once it bubbles, then what's to do? Watch it close. Let it brew. Wait. I've been thinking, flowers, maybe daisies, too. Brighten up the room. Don't you think some flowers, pretty daisies, might relieve the gloom? Awage, love
0: world. Mm. A song that they cut from the movie until Tim Burton insisted they add it back into the
1: movie. Yeah. I like it because mm-hmm. I think it shows some moral complexity for love it.
0: Yes, it's her humane moment of the story. It's it, her going
1: if it's her really thinking, if we go down this path, we can never escape. Yes, so wait because she's not ready yet. Well, she doesn't have the full idea yet of how they're going to do it. No, it's not even that. She's not ready to take that leap. leap. She knows she wants him. Mm
2: -hmm. She
1: knows to go on the journey with him, there's going Mm -hmm. to have to be blood spilled. She just has to figure out how she's going to fit into that Mm -hmm. and what she is willing to sacrifice. That's why she sings Wait. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I like that because it de-vilifies her. It does. It's a very sweet moment for her. It's a very motherly I, moment. It's sweet, but it's also desperate. Mm-hmm. There's an, a huge air of desperation to it. Yes. Like we can get out of this. Like if we're, found, like if Sweeney's found out, a lot. A, you know the consequences are very
0: big. Yeah, she goes to prison if they find it that he's there. Mm-hmm. She's, harboring, she's harboring a fugitive.
1: Well, in the in the original nonfiction story that I was reading about, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was said that she goes to prison and after
0: basically yes, she poisons herself and she kills right her. yes, yeah. which is still very tragic. Yeah, it's very much Lady Macbeth and Macbeth. Yeah,
1: yeah. Again, yes. they are very much like that. They are. They're, They're foils to are, each other. They are. Each other's foils, and they, although he does not love her,
0: no, well, no, yeah, no, he doesn't. He's, he's sure using her for his advantage. Yes, yes, yes. Lady Macbeth and the they do love each other. There is love in 100%. that marriage yeah. at the beginning, at least. That falls apart. Marriage. They it just is. let their ambitions get ahead of them.
1: Opportunistic ways. Mm-hmm. Be their downfall. Correct. Tragic. Very complicated. It uh, is. So there's weight. But I yes. also really am intrigued by Kiss Me.
2: If he should marry me Monday, what shall I do while I fly to nothing? It's Friday, Virginia's Sunday. What can we do with time to so fly to nothing? And not I think I heard a click. It was the gate. It's the gate. but not Kiss me. Oh, so kiss me I Be not afraid to Tonight you'll steal I'll
1: That song that's grown on me actually And I'll tell you why It is okay. Joanna's Patterning in this Reminds me of a bird flapping uncontrollably yes age and it's so it has such a visceral effect audio effect on me when i listen to it i'm like mm-hmm. like and for that and that is the only reason that is the only yep. reason but there's, no. there's this common and then there's this like <clears throat> and it reminds me of a million pigeons in mm-hmm. in Walker square yes like there's this Oh my God! Is it coming? Is it coming? I know he's out, but and it's a patter song in a way. Yes, but it, it's it, it's
0: bigger than that. There is mm-hmm. it's well, there was, like a bird flapping. And- well, she's a caged bird as a character. That's why she's yes. greenfinch and bird, and it fits because she's sensing it's this danger that she's worried about with the judge ever pressing because he's wanting to marry her. She knows that she's got this very short window to get out. Absolutely, and she's panicked like I uh, in. Uh, uh, Anthony, god bless him is trying to calm her down but it's like but she just can't like there's just this no anxiety that she's having she's basically having an anxiety attack on stage like what are the lyrics to this and that's what it and that's what it
1: feels like like she says well he's out but i and i know he's out but i heard a noise and i it's a gate it's a gate it's at the gate you don't have a gate yeah like there's this it's trauma yeah There's trauma there. He penned trauma brilliantly. Mm -hmm. I've never heard anyone pen trauma like he did in this song.
0: Yeah. No, every, like there's,
1: it's brilliant. It's
0: yeah. This whole
1: score is brilliant because he adhered to his statement. God is in the details. And I think this is the score that has the most. Musical care
0: out of his whole yes absolutely, I'm just looking at all the lyrics here, like oh this like there's so much going on here like uh, I, 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 he picks up right away into this scene, like you have the third ballad of sweetie Todd because that's taken place cause he's because he just killed Pirelli. and so now and so the audience doesn't even have a moment to relax because. Yeah. kill Pirelli and then it's right into he needs to marry me Monday what should I do I'd rather die I have a plan I, I'll swallow poison on Sunday that's what I'll do I'll get some lies so she's already thinking about suicide like that's the level of anxiousness she is at that re- she would rather die yeah. than marry him and the fact that she's going to take poison is also a nice callback to her mother who after being victimized by the judge also took poison as well
1: mm-hmm.
0: but you're yeah, she's so anxious like I, 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 yeah, you have the oh dear was that a noise i think i heard a noise it couldn't be he's in court he's in court today but still that was a noise wasn't that a noise you must have heard that like it's just that yeah you're right she's a flapping bird flying. I, I, it's almost it's like, easy. you know, when an animal, like, like, you're, like, I hate to say it, but like, somebody's about to kill a, like a, a chicken or a bird or they're about to snap the neck and the, and the bird is trapped in the arm and it's just flapping away. That's the sound. Exactly. It's, it's that thing where the bird knows that this neck's about to be snapped. And that's Joanna right. knows that her neck's about to be snapped by the judge. And she's caged. She is caged. She's a caged bird that's about to be plucked out and, and killed. It's great. I love it. Good choice. Thank you. Of then, so for the three songs that either we would skip or cut, I don't have anything so- songs I would cut. But what I do have is, is I have a segment that I often skip when I'm listening to it. Okay. And that is the Green Finch and Linnet Bird. Greenfinch and
2: Linnetbird. Greenfinch and Linnetbird, Nightingale, Blackbird, how is it you sing? Who can you dominate sitting in? Ah, miss. Lady, look at me, look at me, miss. Oh, look at me, please. Oh, favor me, favor me with your glance. Ah, oh, miss. What do you, what do you see off there in those trees? Oh, won't you give, won't you give me a chance?
0: And Joanna.
2: I feel you, Joanna. I feel you, I was half convinced I'd waken, satisfied enough to dream you, happily I was mistaken, Joanna.
0: That takes place right after My Friends and before Pirelli's Miracle Elixir, it's this little block of songs where Anthony Furtz meets Joanna. And yes, it's important to set up because it sets up the B plot of the story about Joanna and Anthony. But for me, I just go, I'm, I'm so invested in new story. But this one, because we have the ballad of tell. We've heard about his story in, in in No Place Like London. We then yeah, got to love it. Yeah, a that just needs to... Well, and that's why when you watch the Tim Burton film, he very smartly reduced their songs to the bare minimum. Like... I
1: I even think Greenfinch and linnet Bird could come down a little bit. It could be more like a I don't I think that's a little too.
0: Operatic.
1: Obvious. Yeah. Well, it's also just a little too obvious. Like it is. the rest of it is not obvious. This is very like did you get and it? The <laughs> She's the other one is not while I'm around.
2: Nothing's gonna harm you. Not while I'm around. Nothing's gonna harm you, no sir, not while I'm around Demons are prowling everywhere, nowadays I'll send them howling, I don't care, I got way Of course you do, what a sweet affectionate child it is
1: Beautiful,
0: mm-hmm. but it's a little
1: obvious.
0: That song almost feels like sometime trying to write a single. Kind of like with Bart, do writing as long as he needs me, which became the single of the show. Yeah, not while I'm around. is very much a song that could be plucked out by anybody and put in any concert or sung as a solo. Like Angel like, Lansbury after 9/11, sung not while I'm around. At, at I like the memorial. Yeah. Like, which is creepy when you think about what they're actually talking about in the show. But it's a be- it still has beautiful lyrics. It's a gorgeous song. Yes.
1: And I guess it, sh- again, comes back to showing a little bit of Lovett's humanity, which we mm-hmm. need.
0: Yes. But I don't know if she actually is showing any humanity because Tobias sings the first verse. Then he sees the Pirelli's purse. Yeah. And Mrs. Lovett then, almost like a spider just whoop, basically holds on to him and then locks him in the bay has to be killed. Like, I don't know if, I don't know if that verse actually has any love in it. I think it's more her lulling him into a false sense of calm before, before she's about to go. No, to I come think on.
1: It's something maternal about her. I think there is. I think. Mm-hmm. She locks him in the basement because it's a knee-jerk reaction. She's terrified. She's right. terrified of getting caught out, mm-hmm. which goes back to weight. It's kind of like the, it's the brightest,
0: right. yeah, yeah, it's the, yeah, right. partner songs. Yeah,
1: it, the consequences are coming out, yes. right? I think making her more complex is more interesting for her.
0: It is. It absolutely is.
1: She's uh, a very complex character. This this song, I kind of wish. That he had found a really old musical song that was mm-hmm. similar, right? And used used that because yeah. Tobias he isn't clever.
0: No, he's a very he's, he's he's not a deep character. He's a boy. He's no. supposed to be. He's supposed to be a young boy. But yeah, he usually played by like a guy in his twenties. I know, which, which is, is like stupid. yeah, which like, is like he really
1: have Rasha age.
0: Yes exactly that's exactly what it should be like like hire a garage actor to do it But i, just find it, I don't
1: know i just find it a bit i don't think you need it
0: yeah no i it's, it's, and that's the same thing with that whole sequence like yes yes it's a nice sequence of joanna and ah uh, miss and green finch but it's not one i come back to no in, 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 in the music like it's one of the ones where i'm like okay well maybe i'll listen to it this time if i'm really into it or it's like ah no skip i just uh, find them
1: too nice. I'm like, yes. Well, this isn't a nice You're- musical. Let it just be dirty.
0: Yes. yes. They're very sweet characters, but I'm like, no, we need we need to get back to the main plot of murdering people and making them into pies.
1: For me it's akin to who will buy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, about that song.
0: This is, it's like okay.
1: uh-huh. It's too nice. Yeah. It's too
0: yeah. nice. Yeah this, yeah, this isn't a nice musical. No. 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 Yeah, they are pretty. Okay. They're pretty. They are. They're very pretty. They're very pretty songs. Pretty. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think this has moved up into the number one time musical spot. Sorry, company, you got bumped.
1: <laughs> I'm not bumping see? mine. Not bumping mine.
0: Merrily oh, can see is your number one.
1: Yes, it will. <laughs> I just find it really tragic. Whereas this is a, a real
0: tragedy, technically, because mm-hmm. people die. Yeah. The, oh, this one's a little bit more overt. The tragedy of Merrily is a little bit more subtext-based. You don't. The so audience has to think about the sadness. This is like, yeah, this is pretty in-your-face about it. It challenges the audience is. to just... Sit and watch murder.
1: ...questions, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I sold out? What is selling out? Yeah. What is, you know? It's the questions we ask ourselves all the time rather than big universal questions. Like, do I have the capacity for murder? Very true. And Very I, true. I think the answer in each of us will not be known until something happens.
0: True. Very true. All right, Autumn. Now we get to the question. Does this musical self-applicity in our theater culture or should it be revived? Yes. My answer is yes. Of course, it's a it's brilliant. Yeah. It's,
1: it and it really just makes us ask those big questions, like what. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I like the fact that we get to question humanity in a big way. Yeah. And if done properly, we should empathize with all of these characters Mm -hmm. which will really screw us up leaving the theater
0: of course love it no i yeah no i absolutely agree like this is i think one of the greatest musicals we have in the musical theater canon yeah like it is unbeatable because it's a mix of complexity and beauty and it's served as as an inspiration for many modern musicals People are trying to copy this. Like, Limo and Miranda has full-on admitted that he tried to copy The Ballad of Sweetie Todd for his opening in Hamilton. Which I think he actually did rather successfully. They're very similar to each other. He he very much used that concept really well. Even though I personally am like, "Mm." I know. Even though I'm personally like, i rather this is The Ballad of Sweetie Todd versus the opening of Hamilton. But that's beside the point. But, like... This musical is very similar to like the Titus Andronicus, which we've talked about, where audiences are drawn to these violent, gruesome stories because we are naturally very violent and gruesome people, and we and we as society have repressed this energy. and yeah. this is one of those things that allows us to let it out in a delightful way that we can leave theater not feeling gross. It's like, oh, okay. We, we had a, but then you get home and you're like, what did I just see? It's one of those knee jerk things are at the time you feel good but then you go home and go wait a minute it's also it's also playing
1: on the idea of the victorian peep show yes like do you know what i mean like yeah theater as a voyeuristic activity oh absolutely we we derive pleasure Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. pain and i think that is very much highlighted here yeah, and we're rooting for Sweeney. We root for him, and we have to ask ourselves the question: Why? And think about it. It's, it tests the human spirit. It tests our moral code. Mm-hmm. And I think that's highly interesting.
0: Yeah, and on that note, I think that's where we can end that epi- our talk on Sweeney Todd. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. It's Thank been you. an absolute treat with you visiting our lovely little pie shop here. We hope you yeah. enjoyed your meat pie. Uh, we want to send a big thank you out to our theme music composer, Mr. Brody Wells. Brody Wells. Who is still chugging away with new tracks every Love few it. weeks for his new album. Make sure you listen to his big hit right now, which is Home Decor, which is his rap all about household furniture and fatherhood. You can find that on Spotify and Apple Music and all other great platforms like that. You can find us at Before the Downbeat on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Be sure to check in on that because. You know, we are doing all kinds of fun stuff there, whether it is fun facts and clues. We're doing playbill musical challenges on a daily basis. We are doing all the things on those. And then if you haven't yet, feel free to jump on over to our Patreon. Donate a little bit of money each month to keep those lights on. Keep us out of the workhouse, as it were. The and with- in return, exactly. Yeah. In return, we we'll- yeah, we'll give you we'll give you all types of fun things like uh, movie musical commentaries, monthly theater news reviews, top ten shows. We will be giving you deleted scenes from the episode because I'm sure there'll be some tangents in here that I will edit out for sake of time because we just have to tighten things up every once in a while. But yeah, check that out Patreon before the downbeat. And Autumn, where can they find you if they want to contact you directly?
1: All the places. Autumn DM Smith, Facebook, Instagram, or The business name, Littlewood Smith. Wonderful.
0: And you you can find me at all social media platforms at Mackenzie Horner. Follow me there for all types of fun things like my work with Cup of Hemlock Theater where I'm hosting weekly Shakespeare uh, discussion panels based off Mm -hmm. the streaming shows that Stratford is doing. Autumn's coming on to one. Very exciting. You'll have to tune in to find out which Shakespeare Place is going to be talking about. I was
1: was going to be on the last one, but I couldn't. Life got in the way. Yeah, no.
0: Yeah. Hey, okay. We got another great one for you lined up. So be sure to check that out. Cup of Hemlock Theater on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. (laughs) But on that note, thanks again, everybody. We look forward to seeing you next week where we will reveal our next musical we will cover. Mm -hmm. And until then, attend the tale, everybody.
1: Of Sweeney Todd. Mm -hmm.
0: Yes, because to seek vengeance may lead to hell, but everyone does it as well. Ba da 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 da
1: Bum. Ah,